0: All right, you can go ahead and find a seat. Always fun to be able to cut you off instead of the awkward silence, so thank you for chatting amongst yourselves. Well, welcome to La Jolla Community Church on this nice, warm, sunny San Diego day. We are blessed to have you here. Everyone's looking at me like, what, Dave? Have you been outside? I have. It's cold. I recognize and acknowledge that. We are blessed that you are here, and uh, we hope that you are encouraged uh, by your time with us today today. And uh, we are a church that loves to pray, and we want to pray for you. So inside of your worship folder that you got on your way in, there's a little section in the front that looks just like this. So whether you're new here, uh, there's some information you can fill out, or maybe if you just want prayer, or we want to come alongside you and celebrate a praise, something maybe God has been doing in your life that we can just come alongside, support you, encourage you with. Uh, take a moment sometime during uh, my talking here, anytime during the service, and then when the plates come by, go ahead and slip that in, and uh, we will pray for you as well. Uh, Our prayer team is going to be over here at the end of service. It's a little cold outside, so if you want to pray with someone, uh, they're going to be available after the service right up front here, so come meet with us, uh, Mike and our prayer team, and we would love to just pray and encourage you. Let me share just a few announcements. One big important thing happening today, you probably saw it on your way in, is our Valentine's bake sale. Uh, This is a big deal. I've already taken this one, so you cannot have this one. So uh, I will be munching on this in the front row, and you will all be jealous. Uh, But there are some great things over there. You can pick something up. They got prices. Or if you just want to donate, all of these proceeds, 100% are going right into our homeless ministry outreach. So there's an incredible team over there, and if you want to know more, if you want to ask questions, they're there, and I know they would love to share their heart with you on what it is that you are giving to. I know sometimes it's easy just to give and, oh, I'm doing something good, but find out what you're giving to as well, and maybe this is something that they would encourage you, and you would say, God, maybe this is something I want to participate in. So go meet with them, talk with them, buy up all of the stuff so that I don't have to take it home and have a stomachache this next week. Uh, And my wife will appreciate that I didn't spend $1,000 on all of this stuff that we won't finish. Uh, But again, great stuff over there. Go after the service, check that out, pick up some good stuff or just donate and uh, it will be fun to share stories on what God does uh, through the proceeds that we have. Also happening this week, and we are in the final days, so please, 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 if you want to attend the parents' night out, if you've got kids uh, and you just want a break, uh, you want a moment to yourself, you want a moment to communicate, you want a moment of quiet time, you want a moment of enjoyment, you want a moment of silence, anybody with me? Then this is the time for you, all right? Uh, So parents, please do me a favor. Email Barbara at LJCC this week or go out there. There is a sign up sheet. We just want a moment for you where we're going to take care of your kids. We're going to feed them all the good stuff so they go home on a sugar high and then you have to deal with them afterwards. Uh, But we really intentionally have set this up for you as parents to have three hours away to just enjoy time as a couple. Maybe that's going and spending time singing a movie uh, that you can't take your kids to because it's not animated and they get bored if it's not a cartoon for five minutes, right? Or maybe there's just a long to-do list of things that you need to talk through. But most importantly, we just want you to find moments in your life to date one another, to have time to communicate. So this is one of the ways that we as a church want to help support your marriages. So, uh, sign up your kids just so we can RSVP to make sure we have enough food and supplies. The kids are just going to have a blast. Children's Streams is doing a great job getting stuff put together. Uh, but we need to know really soon whether or not uh, you're going to be involved in that. So, again, go out afterwards or email Barbara this week, and uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, right now I'm going to invite uh, Linda to come up, and we're just going to have a time of prayer. So would you bow your heads, and uh, let's pray together for our service.
1: Pray with me. It's Sunday, Lord, and we are gathered here in your name to worship, praise, and adore you. How blessed we are to be able to come together in fellowship without fear of reprisal. Our hearts are filled with gratitude for this time in your house. and May our worship be a pleasing aroma to you. Father God, we know we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. We humbly confess our sins. We know what we should be doing, but being the men and women we are, we don't always act according to your will. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us and cleanse us from all righteous, unrighteousness. I thank you for each person here today and for those who are watching from a distance. We are richly blessed, Lord, beyond words, and may we never forget that our blessings flow from you, Lord, full of grace and mercy, our family, our friends, our church, but most importantly, May we never forget that though we all fall short, we have been forgiven, and we are a new creation through the blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I lift up the LJCC community and ask that you would meet our needs, that you would heal our wounds and calm our souls. Move within our hearts, Lord, giving us strength and wisdom to acknowledge our struggles and rely on you, Lord, to guide us on our journey as we grow through life. Help us to reach out to one another to offer and receive encouragement as we grow in our faith. We pray, too, for our nation and our leaders, Lord, that they might have wisdom and discernment and respect for all people. Our world is suffering, Lord. Lay your healing hand upon us all. And now, Lord, as Steve shares your word, speak to us. Open our hearts and minds to what you would have each of us take away this morning, and we thank you, Lord, for all of it. For you, the glory and the honor and the praise, in Jesus' name, Amen.
2: Uh, Linda, thank you so much. Well, hey, uh, I am so impressed that you all braved the weather to get here today. Oh my gosh, we're in the depths of winter here in San Diego. It was—I I, apparently it was sprinkling. I—I I didn't want to go out and even face it. So, um, you people are heroic. I just want to congratulate you. And the, the National Guard will be helping people get out of the parking lot later this morning. But, and you'll have lots of cookies and great goods in case you get hunkered down in a big traffic jam getting out of here. Oh, wow. Some friends um, I, I said, they were telling me that they're going to be in Joshua Tree this weekend. Have you ever been to Joshua Tree? Joshua Tree is, is one epic place. If you've never been there, it's out in uh, high desert. Uh, famous climbing area. About oh, years ago, um, uh, I wanted to take a bunch of kids, a bunch of, a bunch of kids from Newport Beach out to uh, Joshua Tree to climb. So I got a bunch of gnarly climbers committed to help me, and we went out and took them climbing for this weekend. Um, But we went out there, and you know, getting out of OC traffic is hard any time of day, and so by the time we got out to Joshua Tree, the little town of Joshua Tree, uh, it's like 10 o'clock at night, and all these high school kids are starving, and the gnarly climbers were starving, so we pulled into the fine dining establishment uh, available in Joshua Tree. So as we went up to McDonald's, everybody was all excited to order all their stuff, and so there we are in line, and my one of my sisters was with me, and she's very, very funny and fun to be with, and um, she said, I feel so nauseous in that drive uh, coming out here, you know, And because and I, I, I said, what do you want to eat? She goes, I don't know. I don't want anything. She goes, really, what I want is a piece of cheese. I said, okay, great, you know. So, we get up, finally, we get up to the counter, and and uh, I said, I, I, I think I ordered a at least one burger, only to be polite. And so uh, she then says, yes, I would like some cheese, please. And the, the guy behind the counter looks at her and goes, we don't, we don't have that. We don't sell cheese. Now, she um, has done a lot of interesting things in her life. She's amazing uh, with, with people and in companies. And she took a break one time and worked as an international flight attendant for Pan Am, so she flew all over the world and she dealt with super annoying, demanding, wealthy people. So she's pretty much faced down to everybody. So, in a very sweet way, she looked at the guy and she said, You sell cheese. And I'd like a piece of cheese. He goes, No, we, we don't. And you can see the guy's just nervous going, I- We don't have cheese. There's nothing, there's nothing up there, nothing, no button to press. She said, Okay, no problem. I'll have a hamburger. He said, Oh, okay. Hold the bun, hold the beef hold the relish, the onions, the tomatoes, and the lettuce. He goes, well, then all you'll have is cheese. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'll have the cheese. Uh, That has nothing to do with anything. I just felt like telling the story. And so, (laughs) tuck that away. You might be able to pull it out at some point at a party. Um, (laughs) But actually, I'm going to come back to that story later. Uh, And here's why. What we're talking about today is faith. Uh, What is faith and why does it matter? And how with all the, the competing things for our attention, all the things that the world says, this is what you need, you have to have this. This is how it all comes bundled together. Uh, how do you get to that thing uh, called faith that makes everything else in life make sense? Uh, that thing that makes life come together in a way that you thought, I, had, I always hoped, but I had no idea that this is what life is all about. So we're going to be going there today in, in this series, What is Faith and Why Does It Matter? Last week, uh, David talked about grace. We talked about grace last week uh, to start the series because uh, ultimately grace is what it's all about, God's, God's grace to us. And we celebrated Holy Communion. And by the way, we celebrate Holy Communion every, every Sunday. Uh, you can have individually served Holy Communion, uh, but uh, once a month we have Holy Communion as a, as a whole congregation. And so we're asking the question this week, uh, having talked about grace last week, how does sin relate uh, to the disorder in our world? Uh, sin is our big problem. And even if you don't believe in God, you'd have to admit that sin, uh, this disconnect between people and nations is a big problem. If you don't think it's a big problem, which I know you do, uh, just read the newspaper, go online, pick up your phone, and just consult what's happened in the last week and the week before that and yesterday, and you'll say, this is a woefully, horribly disordered world. Uh, so many great things potentially there, and so many uh, things just never seem to come together. While we're here in worship, <coughs> joking around about the weather and, and baked goods, uh, somebody's being trafficked. Uh, somebody is starving to death. Somebody's being abused. Somebody's being abandoned. Somebody's being taken advantage of. Something horrible is happening somewhere. Somebody's wondering if I'll ne- ever get out of this city in China and have to not wear a mask. Somebody is wondering, will I ever be able to pay the rent? I can't watch yet another child die. You know, all those sorts of things that keep us awake at night. And if they keep you awake at night like they keep me awake at night, it's overwhelming to think, how can I spend money on anything? How can I go buy cupcakes when there's some kid starving to death in a favela? who's somehow in indentured servitude in India. is somehow in some part of the United States where they get nothing that they need uh, in the way that uh, they need it. All those sorts of horrible things, right? So, how does sin relate to the disorder in our world? Whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, this is a big question. Uh, And we would have maybe disagreeing solutions of what is the answer to that disorder. But what we talk about here is rooted in God's big story. We don't think we can even understand life or anything in it without seeing it in the context of God's story um, that answers these questions. And we believe that the implications of understanding God's story relate to our personhood uh, our vocational life, our, our marriages, our families, uh, everything that matters to us in life. Uh, uh, it comes back to this big story, and I call it big because it's comprehensive. Uh, if you want to be more technical, it's the meta story. It's the foundational text uh, upon which is built our understanding of, of the world that we, we live in. Uh, and though in, in, in uh, modern academia it's not considered true knowledge, we see it as essentially true and real knowledge. We believe that without this knowledge, all the other knowledge that we accrue uh, uh, does not make sense in the way it could or should. And the interesting thing about this big story uh, in the Bible is that the Bible inspires other stories that shape our lives. So many incredible movies and songs and stories and plays uh, come out of this biblical narrative. Why? Because it's that inspiring. It's that informative in terms of shaping how we understand what it means to be truly human and alive. Uh, Two examples of of stories historically um, worldwide and and in this country. A Pilgrim's Progress and a story you might have have read uh, when you were a kid called Little Women. Uh, How many of you have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? It has been in constant print since 1678. It's been in constant print since 1678. It's probably the most read work in the English language second to the Bible. Uh, It's been called the first modern... Uh, First English language novel, not the first modern novel, but the first English language novel. Pilgrim's Progress, written by a guy named John Bunyan over a 12-year period while he's in prison uh, for telling people about Jesus in England, of all places. And he was in prison because uh, England was in a time of um, upset and civil war and following the civil war, there's a new monarchy, and the monarchy felt threatened because if somebody or five or more people were talking together somewhere, they were probably talking about the overthrow of the king. And so you were not allowed to 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 gather unless you gathered at a church service officiated by an official Church of England person. Well, this guy John Bunyan becomes a follower of Jesus after living a very reckless kind of life, and uh, he is compelled to talk about this spiritual journey that shaped him. That's what Pilgrim's Progress is about. Sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? But it's really the story. It's our story what it looks like to take this journey from not believing to being in a place where you're feeling really connected to God in the context of this world. Well, the other story uh, that comes out of the, the biblical story is, is, is a, a book called Little Women. Uh, and it's an unfortunate title because it's not about women that are shorter than five feet tall. It's about, it's about women of any size, stature, but, but women in, in, in development. It, it's a, it's a coming-of-age uh, story. And so little simply means young. Young women, uh, young girls, uh, teenage girls, and it's an epic story, and here's why. Uh, because it's a story about how a, a mom, while her husband is away serving in the Civil War, is going to help these girls navigate through all the overwhelming challenges that they see around them. The fact that they have yearnings in them that make them want to aspire to things that they think maybe the world won't let them do. One of them, Joe, wants to be a writer. Uh, all of them are, are adamantly against slavery, so they're, they're budding abolitionists. Uh, they all have professional, personal aspirations, and they think, maybe this world isn't accommodating for that. Maybe I have to live my life through a man. That wouldn't be bad if it's a man that shares the sense that we are co-equals in God. You know, that's what the Bible says. We were created male and female. He created us together as, as humans, male and female. And so anyway, it's a powerful story. Uh, how many, I won't even ask you anymore how, how many, but as you know, uh, the movie Little Women is nominated for six Academy Awards. Six Academy Awards. It's, it's, an, it's an awesome, awesome movie. Uh, it's a big movie for, about little women. It's a big movie because it deals with big themes. I just need to say this. It would be bigger and truer if it were the real Little Women story. And by that I mean it's Little Women with the core Uh, organizing um, heart of it taken out. In that, Little Women was a story uh, by Louisa May Alcott, written in her 30s, uh, about women in formation and and the incredible job that that the mom does in helping them understand what the Bible says to them about being women of character and quality, uh, taking on the issues of the world from the context of a God who loves them and by whose grace and power they get to thrive and become everything that he made them to be as a woman. Uh, It's a powerful story because uh, it evokes Pilgrim's Progress and this whole idea of a journey and a developmental process. And so this mom sees herself as the primary pastor uh, to these kids to lift them up and and to help them deal with the issues that would be an issue for all of us, you know? I mean, what, what do I do about this, that, or the other? If you see the movie... One of the lines taken out of the book, half a line taken out of the book in this case I'm angry all the time. I'm I'm angry every day. I'm angry most of the time. Wow. In the book, when Joe says this, the mom doesn't shut her down. She says, All right. But let God's tender mercy speak into your anger. Don't deny your anger. But you can't live in anger. Anger does not accomplish anything good. Anger could be a prompt for taking on injustice. If you're not angry in the face of injustice, check your pulse. Anger could be a trigger that I'm being taken advantage of or or abused. I'm threatened. Anger is a good alert and alarm system. Anger is not a functional strategy or tactic from making your way through life. Why? Because he who, dies by the, who lives by the sword dies by the sword. So anger in and of itself doesn't accomplish anything. So the mom's wonderful response is to, not, is to not deny the anger, to shame her, but to say, this is where your anger can go. Because ultimately your anger has to has to be transformed into something more akin to love, to actually accomplish justice. So you see what I'm talking about? So this idea that a great movie, but taking the heart of that movie out of the original text does it a grave injustice. And so one of the things we're talking about is that there's a big story. Uh, The Bible's a big story. Have you read it? The Little Women had. Pilgrim's Progress, a powerful, powerful story that everybody should probably read. Have you read it? The Little Women did. Um, What we see in that story is that God makes little people grow big by His love and grace. He helps them to apprehend and appropriate His justice. Uh, The Bible is the real and true story telling us of God's presence in the world and our part in that world, describing God's work in the world and our work alongside Him in His world. It's a powerful, powerful story that inspires any number of other stories. Do you see this visual? It says Holy Bible on the top. You see it's covered in dust. It says, read me, right? Uh, this is probably the biggest gap for people in our culture, both in terms of understanding the culture. If you don't read the Bible, if you don't know the Bible, the biblical narrative, you've, you've just undermined your own understanding of the cultural narrative uh, and so much great literature. But specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't read the Bible, you're, you're denying yourself the content you need to properly order your world, to answer the big overwhelming questions that everybody has to answer to understand that there's more about the world than you satisfying your own needs. You'll find in the Bible that it's not about you, but you're absolutely included in God's uh, redemption and and work in the world. And so the real story is that God loves the world He made. He created it good. He created us good. And He gave us a big responsibility to care for it in everything we do. But there's a big problem. Uh, We collectively have defied Him and disobeyed him, and all creation is horribly affected by that. That's part of that biblical narrative. Something horribly wrong has gone uh, sideways with creation, and it causes us to grieve. We lament that. Even even, if you don't, even before I believed in Jesus, it, it wounded my heart. It made me sad to think that so many potential things in my own family, it just wasn't coming together. The heartbreak and the disruption. Seeing in the world around me as an idealistic kid saying, why is this happening? Why every time as a junior high kid I, 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 at dinner time the news is on, I see people getting slaughtered in a place called Vietnam, right? It's that kind of a thing. Why do these things happen? Uh, and so as I, as I started to read the Bible, I started to understand, well, here's what happened. Here's why it's happening. And, and I grieved over it from a different perspective. I grieved over it from the perspective that God grieves over it. The God of whom people often say, well, where's God in our suffering? He's grieving in the midst of our suffering. But He's doing more than grieving. He's doing something about our suffering. And so um, we see in Genesis chapter 6, it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that, every, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now, this sounds like an overblown um, statement, but collectively, it's true. As I said, as we sit here, ongoing in this city which is an epicenter for trafficking, in this county, in this state, in this country, in this hemisphere, in this world, there's an ongoing litany of things that are horrific and heartbreaking. And you know, throughout the year, we, 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 we address these issues, injustice issues, um, r- race issues, economic issues. Uh, and so, the Lord sees this wickedness, and it, it breaks His heart. And this is the big problem of sin. It affects everything we touch and everything that touches us sin causes distraction and despair and ultimately destruction of human dreams and human aspirations and humans. So, this is what the Lord is seeing and and how He's expressing it. And it says in Genesis 6, the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. Does that that move you at all To, to, to think, to realize that God's heart is deeply troubled? God weeps over you. God cares for you enough that when you're going through something horrific that moves you to tears, uh, His heart is with your heart. That God's way ahead of us in terms of compassion and empathy. That it matters to God that, that the world is in the state it's in. So much so that He's done something about it. Uh, later uh, in uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, 6th century Israel Uh, God speaks through Jeremiah, and God says this, I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. And if you remember God's promise to Abraham to Israel and raising up a nation called Israel, uh, was that all nations on earth would be blessed. That the world would experience healing. Uh, That's a great concept in Judaism, tikkun olam, the healing of the world. Uh, it's the one thing that, that Judaism holds on to uh, in the present era, Short, uh, apart from the, the Orthodox folks. Um, but there's no temple. And so what's the, what's the organizing factor for, for Jewish people in the world today? It's tikkun olam. It's the healing of the world. Well, th- how does that happen but for God fulfilling His promise? And so you see Him speaking to them. How gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. He goes on to say, I thought you would call me Father and not turn away from following me. So this is the setting, uh, the setting of sin. It's that we uh, created to be beloved sons and daughters uh, of, a, of a loving Heavenly Father uh, with a great legacy, uh, all of a sudden are spiritual orphans. <laughs> and we're, we've chosen that uh, um, actively or passively. So later then in the, in the first century, about 60 A.D., uh, Paul, formerly the, the Rabbi Saul, Shaul, now the, uh, the Apostle Paul, the international man. Uh, he's a Roman citizen, he's a full, you know, true blue Jew. Uh, he is literate in, in uh, the Old Testament, uh, the Tanakh, the Jesus' Bible. He's literate in terms of uh, Greek literature and culture. He's just an incredible person that God has raised up to, to send this message of God's redemption of the world uh, beyond uh, the walls of Jerusalem. And he's writing now to people in Rome And he says this. He's summing up part of the plot line of God's big story. He says, For all have sinned, everybody, and all of us fall short of the glory of God. And it's out of the glory of God, the goodness of God, the graciousness, the magnificence, the generosity of God that we've cut ourselves off. Every good thing that God wants to provide for us um, is just out of our reach. And so he says, All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, and now, Dave talked about this last weekend, all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So there's a big, big, big problem, but God has a much bigger solution, a bigger answer to the big question, why are we in this situation? And so Paul says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. And I wish I had time to unpack all that language and, and, and what that means But basically, Paul is telling us that God came to save us, to restore us uh, in love and grace. He's established a new relationship with us, a a new covenant, a covenant that includes our salvation, uh, our restoration, a new heaven and a new earth, the reconciliation of us to God, us within ourselves, us with one another. And so in this covenant in Jesus, God makes a way back for all who come to Him by faith, a way to Him from which nobody is excluded if they come by faith in His name. And so we're all invited to be part of this forever. So there's this turning now, Paul's saying, here's the big problem, here's the big solution. But then he says this, he gets very personal, because he wants to speak to the, to the, to the real experience of people, because he wants them to know that this is all true, this is operative, this is happening right now. But even so, in the midst of it happening and being true, and us being part of this story, we feel often disconnected from it. So he says this, very personal, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Do you relate to this in any way, shape, or form? Of course, every one of us would say, yeah, I mean well, I want better, Uh, but this is our story. But here's the thing, and this is why I want to turn a corner in this message. This no longer describes us or defines us adequately or accurately. This is something that we wrestle with but this is not who we are. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. He goes on to say in this letter to the Romans he says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. I know this about myself. The moment I decide to do good sin is there to trip me up. Why does it trip us up? It's because it's the thing that is most familiar to us. It's the thing we're most comfortable in, and it's our default. It's that fallback position. Why? Because we're afraid to trust God. And we end up inadvertently isolating ourselves from God and from one another. So we're left alone to our own devices to do our best, but our best, we know, is not enough good intentions, but somebody said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, I never mean to do anything bad, mostly, but I still do it. And so, he says, I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. I'm kind of subtle and smooth about it. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. He's not saying the devil made me do it. I'm not responsible. He's saying this is who I am, but it's not who I want to be. He says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. Have you ever been there? Have you felt that existential angst, that emotional despair of, I can't change it. I kept thinking I could quit smoking anytime I want. It's harder than I thought. Or I tried to do this. I tried to do that. And all of a sudden you realize it's really hard. And the the bigger the issue, the harder it is to change. He says, I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question Paul asks? And so he says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. I love that phrase, a life of contradictions. I mean well, but I don't always do well. Think about the most committed scientists. This place is thick with scientists. This community is thick with scientists. Think about those these, these idealistic, uh, hardworking scientists. And and, and and you get to that point where you, I see what, it, what could happen. And if I just fudge the data a little bit, not that much, just fudge it enough, because I see where we're going to go. I just can't quite figure out the connector. It, it's the kid who says, look... Uh, Um, I I know my parents want me to do well. They keep saying just that we want you to be happy. But I know they really want me to do well. They want me to go to college. I want to go to college. But it's just out of reach. And I have so many advantages and opportunities I feel bad for not being able to master this properly. So I'm just going to cheat a little. Just a little. says, Thank God, Jesus Christ, does something about this. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So he's telling us that grace is God's beautiful gift of forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And this frustration we feel that is universal and normative, that we can't seem to get it right, is not the end game. That's it, it's over. All your wishful thinking for a better life has come to an end. Rather, saying this is the place where God meets us. This is the place where we find God faithful. This is the place that forces us to open our lives up to other people. To stop pretending that that we are the masters of our universe. That we are the rugged individualists who can get it right, just given enough time. Sin is the big problem. That God's grace addresses. So then, Paul, in another letter, this time to some people in Turkey, uh, to a little town called Colossi, he says this. Now he's moving from the "Hey, we're all sinners, and I wrestle with this, you wrestle with this," but there's a solution, and we have power available to us uh, that we don't even know yet because we haven't tested it enough. We've tested our sense of what we can do thoroughly, and it's it fails. What we haven't tested or relied on yet is what God can do when we get to the end of that point. When we get to the end of the rope and God says, Are you tired of holding on? I'm here. Let go. I don't like that feeling. Do you? No, no, I can do it. I can do it. Our little grandson is two. He goes to this gym. He's, he's really strong for a two-year-old kid. So he gets on these things, these little you know, uh, this exercise things that, that you can either zip on a zip line or you can just hang. And, and see, he hangs on that thing. And you're thinking, this kid is amazing how long. I couldn't hang that long on that thing. And you see him going, oh, shoot, I don't want to drop. It's way down there, like this far to those big cushy blocks. But I can't. You know, my, my little two-year-old pride won't let me let go of this thing. But and, and at some point you see the fingers going like this, you know. Um, you know that feeling, right? And it's that sickening feeling of, oh, no, I, I'm going to let go. And of course, when you let go, it's like, pfft, it's like a pillow. It's, boom, mom and dad's strong hands and arms holding you. And they're saying, way to go. That was great. You know. And so he says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. You have a new identity. That whole sin thing isn't counting against you anymore. Yes, it's familiar, and you go back to it, but it's no longer definitive or descriptive. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. The power of Jesus' resurrection is available to you. Again, not out of your willpower, but out of His power in you that you willfully cooperate with. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. By earthly things, he doesn't mean that there's something wrong with living on earth. He's saying... The things that we value most, the things that we cling to longest and hardest are not the solution. That's what he means by earthly things. He's not saying the earth doesn't matter. He's saying the way that we interpret the world and the values that we impose on the world are inadequate. So in the movie, Little Women, the woman says, I'm angry all the time as if that's okay. As if it says, that's how I'm going to overcome these social issues that bother me. No. That's how you're going to become bitter and alienated and dysfunctional. That's how you're going to become a little dictator or an autocrat. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You have a larger range of resources you don't even know available to you. Years ago, I was working with one of our staff members, a phenomenally talented person, and they were failing miserably at, at some of the stuff that they were responsible for, and, but they were trying really hard. And I said, hey, let's talk about what's going on. They said, I'm doing everything I know how to do, as if there's nothing else that could be done. I said, yeah, I'm giving you 100% credit. You get an A-plus for doing everything you know how to do. So let's just celebrate that, claim victory, and move on to the real solution, which is there's people who could come alongside you who know way more than you about what to do. Those people would like to help you, but you won't let them. You you counted a a humiliation to let somebody come in and help you. He goes, wow, I hadn't really thought of it like that. I said, so are you open to that? Yeah. So all these people came in, and all of a sudden, this person went to a whole nother level of effectiveness. He said, that was awesome. Yeah, that has been there all along. It's been there all along. So in Christ, our sin is not our focus. What I can't do when I think I've done everything I could do. God's love and grace in Jesus Christ is our focus. Life is about walking in His love, living in His grace. Life is about seeing who we are in Christ. We're new creations. He's got a new plan, a new agenda, a new purpose, a new frame of reference, new resources we haven't even begun to tap into yet. Resources like vulnerability, humility, openness, receptivity, curiosity, a desire and a hunger to learn and grow. But sin distorts our ability to see that reality and to enjoy it. Because sin says, you know, you're not enough. You don't have what it takes. That's the end of the story. And God's big story says, are you kidding me? We started the story. By, by chapter three, we were into that story. The rest of the story is about how God's sufficiency is everything you need. And so, when we feel compelled to sin, it's simply a sign that we're accepting a lie, a false solution to life's problems. Oftentimes, when I've talked over the years to people, say, wrestling with uh, marital infidelity, this person, man, woman, is saying, "I'm having this affair, um, and uh, it's, I've been caught, I'm facing the consequences." Um, you know, and and they're mortified that they're talking to me. Um, but I want—I remind them, hey, you're dealing with real needs just some real needs that you've been trying to deal with. So let's just acknowledge that those are real needs. You feel lonely. You feel disconnected. You feel heartbroken that your dream of what this could be isn't, and so now you're trying to figure out what's going on. And you've, 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 you've done some things to meet those needs that are totally counterproductive. They're actually destroying the very hope that you have for what could be. So let's just see that your needs are, are valid, that kids' need to get good grades is valid. But the solutions that we choose invalidate and obscure the fact that we have an authentic need, that we were just afraid to say, I can't deal with this. I don't know what to do. I wish I could talk to everybody I've ever done a a funeral for who committed suicide. I just want to be able to say one more time to them, hey, you know, if you feel like committing suicide, would you please tell everybody in your life that you're going to do it? And just explain to them why this would be way better for them. Would you call your child or call, call them in close to you and say, Honey, I just want to tell you, uh, I'm such a mess that I made life such a disaster for you that I'm going to take my life. Are you okay with that? And you'd ask everybody to sign off on it. What would happen? Obviously, Daddy, don't do that. I, I'll take you as a mess, right? Why don't we do this? It's because our incredible shame and fear of being discovered. Well, God's already discovered who we are. Everybody around us has already discovered who we are. They know. If I was to sit down with Janet and say, Janet, I just want to to open my heart you, i got to tell you, I've never told you this before. I am a sinner. I'm a a flawed, imperfect man. She'd be looking like she looks right now. She's got a big smile on her face like, oh, that's real news. That's a big breakthrough. Thank you so much for clarifying that. So Paul says, for you died and your life is now. You died. The old you is gone. You're a new creation. Your life is now hidden with Christ of God. Nobody can take it away from you because God is protecting your new life. It's an indestructible, irresistible new life. It's your life, but it's it's centered in Him, and nobody can take it from you. Nobody can separate you from Him. When Christ, who is your life, appears ultimately, then you'll also appear with Him in glory. You'll see what's been going on, that it's all working. It doesn't feel like it's working, but it's happening. In the meantime, then, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways. They're very familiar and comfortable to you in the life you once lived. He says, put to death, therefore. Now, what he's not saying is this. You need more willpower. We already know that willpower disconnected from the power of God is useless. It's useless. How do we do this? More willpower? Better intentions? No. In our flesh, in our own willpower, we cannot do this. What we can do is bring it before God and our brothers and sisters, and we put it to death by robbing it of its power over us. It's like when you've had a bad dream and you wake up and you go, Oh my gosh, am I, am I really going to prison? Are we really going to lose the house? Are we going to... Did, did I really die? Am I paralyzed now? You know, whatever dreams you've ever had... Um, also, you realize, no, it's not. Oh, my gosh, okay. When you tell somebody something you're wrestling with, doesn't it get better? Yes, just by telling them, and they say, wow, that's, that sounds really hard. How are you feeling? What could I do? Have you thought about this? You go, why was I so wrapped around the axle? Why didn't I tell them sooner? Again, fear, Shame. So, God's not piling on by telling Paul to tell us, hey, just put it to death, just don't do that, just don't feel that. like, no, He's not saying that. He's saying, here's how you put it to death, right? He says, He goes on to say, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And then immediately we think, well, then what am I going to talk about? (laughs) What am I going to think about? You know, you're taking away my arsenal, You're taking away all my tools, my quiver, you know, there's no more arrows uh, available to me. What do you mean get rid of these things? These are what I depend on. Again, we can't save ourselves. That's God's work in Christ. But we can learn to manage ourselves by simply stepping up and saying, I'm going to be responsible for me. This is what I'm feeling. I wonder what God wants to do with this. This is the situation I'm in. I wonder what God wants to do in this situation. This is what I'm tempted to do. I wonder what God's alternative to my temptation to do this is. I know. I'll ask God. I'll stop relying on my willpower and yield my will to His power. I'll let my brothers and sisters, some of those I trust most in on the fact that I'm wrestling with this stuff. I feel like killing myself. I feel like killing you, you know, whatever, you know, be honest, right? I feel like fudging the data. I feel like cheating on the test. I feel like cheating on my girlfriend, my spouse. I feel like cheating on, I feel like doing this. I feel like running away. And, and you let it out, and everybody goes, wow, man, I felt the same way. I wonder what we can do to see what God wants to do to speak into this. We don't put a religious veneer on it. We don't put a good intentions decal on it. We say, wow, this is real, and only God can deal with this in a real way. This is the genius of the original 12-step program. You understand that the 12-step program is powerful, right? It's a powerful process of Recovery. It has very little to give us by way of discovery. It's powerful, powerful recovery. It's it's the necessary bridge in recovery for anybody who's facing addiction. Some version of it. Some application of it. By way of saying it's not about discovery, it's that it's not about giving you new content. It's giving you tools for recovery, opening you up and preparing you for content. That's why the content of scripture is the content we need. The bridge to get there often is a 12-step approach, and here's why. When Bill and, and Bob were going through this big insight of, aha, wow, we have a way of dealing with fellow, they would call themselves desperate, down-and-dirty drunks, that's how they re- refer to themselves. They met a man named Sam Shoemaker. A man named Sam Shoemaker, who had become a follower of Jesus at Princeton University, had become a, a, an Episcopal priest, was committed to a movement of renewal in the United States that had come out of what's called the Oxford Movement. The Oxford Movement was a re- spiritual renewal that happened at Oxford University. All these students and faculty f- coming to know Christ uh, in, the, in the 40s. And it swept to the United States, and, and Sam Shoemaker had been caught up in this and become a follower of Jesus. And he's this very sophisticated guy from a very wealthy family, and he's reaching all these very articulate people. And among them were Bill and Bob, who said, can you help us frame the content of the recovery that we think is possible? Because we know that willpower alone is not adequate. And so, Sam Shoemaker, they first came up with six things, and eventually they came up with 12 things, all of them out of the Scripture. Every one of them rooted in Scripture, but presented in a way that wouldn't be off-putting to people who were dealing with addiction issues, and they didn't want to confuse them with dealing with God issues uh, before they were ready. But so, if, if to recast the 12 steps into their original biblical intent, let me just read them for you. This is genius. This is sort of the thing that this this is sort of the 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 not sort of this is the thing that Paul is talking about when he says there's a better way. I'm going to read him fast. Uh, um, when I first moved to Loya almost 25 years ago, I did a whole series on the 12 steps. I met so many people. I stood up in this big church and said, "I want to talk about the 12 steps," and all these people started to lean in, and I got to know hundreds of people. Uh, out of this, and so this is—I believe in the twelve steps as is, is a recovery process followed by a discovery process. So let me just read you what I think would be a natural bridge from going from I do what I I shouldn't do, I don't do what I should do, to I'm putting to death some things that are holding me back. One, we admit we are powerless and our lives are unmanageable without God. Two, we believe that He has the power to restore us to health and holiness. Three, we make a conscious decision to turn our will and our lives over to His care. Four, we make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And I would say a spiritual inventory of ourselves as well. Five, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to at least one other person the exact nature of our sin. Six, we are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of our character. We've hit bottom. We humbly, seven, we humbly ask Him to remove our shortcomings and conform our character to His. Eight, we make a list of those we have harmed and are willing to make amends to them. Nine, we make direct amends to them wherever possible, unless it causes more pain. Ten, we continue to take personal inventory and promptly admit where we fall short. Eleven, we seek through prayer and meditation on His Word to strengthen our relationship with God. Praying for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry out it out. Twelve, and as we grow in His grace... We carry this message to others and practice these principles in everything we do. Do you see what this is? It's a call to a community that's rooted in Christ. Where we say, well, okay, the vestiges of sin still cling to me. My instincts are still to turn toward that, but that's not who I am. And yet that's, that's where I turn. And so what we say to each other is, yeah, yeah, just keep turning and, and turn to Christ. Express those feelings. Talk about those circumstances. Let people support you in that. Your failure isn't final. And if you fail, fail forward by moving toward Him. It's not not perfection. It's a process. We make progress as we live into and, and apprehend and appropriate what is ours in Christ. Progress now, perfection later. We'll be perfect someday in Christ. We're not measuring ourselves against perfection. We're not managing our sin. We're reorienting ourselves to understand His grace. Does that make sense to you? This is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff, but it's so simple a child can understand it. You can get a PhD in it, but you can, get, you can get clear on this in preschool. So he says, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so lying is a way of hiding because we feel fear and shame. By God's grace, we develop new habits, new strategies, new tactics to get our needs met. That's why the 12 steps are are so readily embraced by everybody. There's something so true here. Of course, a follower of Jesus would say, yeah, because Sam knew who was true. And Bill and Bob, affected by Sam, said, okay, how do we become bridges for what we know is ultimately true, but this is the bridge to get people to be open to it? Uh, If you haven't done the Enneagram yet, you ought to do the Enneagram. Pick up a book called The Road Back to You or The Path Between Us. The Enneagram, it's just a simple process. Myers-Briggs, very helpful. Strength Finder, all of these things are simply tools. Why are they important? They get us out of our spin cycle thinking And into saying, well, here's how I am. Here's who I am. Here's how I approach the world. Where does God want to meet me? And where does God want to take me? Right where I am, who I am. The goal is not to be somebody else. It's to be you in Him, together with other people becoming themselves in Him. Where all of us together become the body of Christ over which He is the head. We support these with spiritual practices, prayer, worship, life groups, giving, serving, tithing, fasting, meditating on His Word, any number of principles, uh, principles, practices. Mentors and friends in faith, inspiring books, life-changing truth. And so here's what he finally says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The shalom of God belongs to you. Why? Because since as members of one body, you were called to peace. That's your natural state of being. And if you're not in that natural state of being, your willpower won't get you there. Again, it's yielding your will to His power to deliver you there, to bring you there. And He's going to use other people and all kinds of interesting tools and experiences to do that. It all counts. You know, you know what I mean by that? It all counts. God uses it all. When I go to church, sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's just kind of, I just go. But then sometimes I'm at the beach and like, it comes clear to me, God speaks to me. It all counts. If you hadn't been in worship or in a life group, God would not have spoken to you as clearly on the beach. It all counts. Don't discount any of the ways that God works in you and through you. The story of Pilgrim, of the Apostle Paul, of the March family, is rooted in their faith in Jesus, the defeater of sin and death, the defeater of fear and shame. What is your story rooted in? Is it in that or something else? And if it's something else, it is something less. Because nothing and no one can match the standard that God alone possesses for how to love and deliver us by His grace. Who is mentoring you? Who will you let mentor you? The four girls, the four March girls had godly support and coaching from their mother, Marmee. Isn't that great to think that their mom was the, with the priest and, and the prophet and the pastor to those girls? And when dad was back, he was in part of that too. She helped them deal with personal issues, practical issues that would would set them up for a phenomenal life as adults. Joe's anger, Meg's vanity, Beth's shyness, which was really a, a manifestation of her insecurity. Am I good enough? Amy's pride. They lived in tumultuous times facing life's inevitable struggles, but so do you. If you read the original Little Women, it's just like now. The defecation was hitting the ventilation. The country was a mess. There was confusion about gender issues, identity issues. There, were, there was confusion about social and economic issues. Uh, there were issues of who was entitled and who isn't. The March family was desperately poor. But what did they have? Peace. The peace that passes understanding because it's the peace that comes from Christ. To all who receive Him. It's a gift. He loves giving to us. That's your gift in Him. That's your destiny, your legacy in Him. That's His. That's for us, for now and forever. I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna come up. Um, Dave's gonna come up and and uh, lead us into a time of offering and response uh, to what we've experienced this morning. So, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you so much for your grace given us. The way you've expressed it in your Word uh, through people like the Apostle Paul, through John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress, through Louisa May Alcott, through Little Women, the way you continue to speak to us in so many creative and and wonderful ways. Uh, And so, Lord, I pray that as we open our hearts and minds to you, we would find that that you are the lover of our soul. You are the deliverer of our life. You are the one who cares more about us than we do. Help us to trust in you, to look to you, to journey together as we walk with you. And pray
0: this in Jesus'
2: name. Amen.
0: Church, now is our opportunity to respond. I mean, We've heard an incredible message on God's grace, His mercy, what sin has done, but how to overcome that through the power of Christ. And so as we come to this time of offering, yes, we give of our finances, we give back to God out of the generosity of just thanking Him, but we also offer our lives. And Scripture reminds us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our act of worship. And I love how we have the opportunity after each service to just take a few songs to think, and maybe there's something here this morning that resonated with you. One, one phrase, one scripture, one message, one part that you just said he was speaking directly to me. It's a power of what God's word can do in our lives. Amen. Uh, but take time now. Scripture reminds us, cast your cares on me for I care for you. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We give to God our first fruits. All of these things, this is our time of worship before the Lord. And so as we close in a couple of songs and we pray here, maybe there's something that you just need to cast down. You say, God, I give up trying to hold on to this. I give it to you. And watch what his peace is going to do in your life. So let's just gather together in time of prayer. Father, we in this moment is, yes, we take this offering and we give to you, uh, Father, that you would take it and you would continue to do uh, amazing things through this church and through the leadership of this church. And as we pray to how to diligently apply our time, talents, and treasures to the things of your kingdom to make the biggest impact we can through this church and its people. But Father, we also come as individuals and we offer our lives to you. We acknowledge our shortcomings, but know that it is your power at work in our weakness. We know that with you, Father, we can do incredible things because it's not about us, but it's about you and your desire to use us for your perfect purposes. And God, that is something that only you can accomplish. And what a joy as your children that we get to join in with you on that amazing plan. So in this moment, before we leave and we get distracted by the rest of the things in this world, would we just take this moment through this prayer, through this offering, through these worship songs, to just give you those parts of our hearts that we know you were speaking at as uh, the music happened and the message was being given and delivered to us. And that moment we, we we cringed or we said, oh, that's that's me. I need to give that to you. I've struggled with that. I've wrestled with that. I've I need to deal with that this morning, that we would do that today, that we wouldn't leave here clinging to that same thing, that we would say, this is yours. Give me your joy. Give me your peace. Give me your understanding. So we give you this service, and we give you this continued time of worship. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: No. Oh. But
2: to say his name is higher means it's not out of reach. It means he lifts us up. He's lifting you up. Where do you need to be lifted up? Open your heart and your mind to him at that place and say, Lord, lift me up. I want to see you more clearly. I want to understand myself better. I want to be able to love people the way you love me. Love people through me. There's a job that God has for you to do with what's in your hand. What is it? Don't disqualify yourself. Don't discount you because he's up high. He's awesome. He's sovereign. He's Lord. That means that your life matters. And He can work in you beyond what you ever thought possible. This is the beauty, what it means to know Him and walk with Him. Every people group, every culture, every age and stage, every socioeconomic status, everybody's included. Nobody's disqualified. Why? Because He is on high. He's above it all, and He's drawing all things to Himself. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.